Hi guys, before we begin today, I just want to take a really quick second and say thank you to our listeners. Thank you guys so much. Your support has made the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast incredibly successful across all of our platforms. Cannot thank you guys enough. That is because of you and your listenership, and you guys are liking it and sharing it. So we appreciate it. So thank you guys so, so much. Let's get into the show today. Here we go. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. From Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California, this is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm your host, Hector Navarro. My guest today is a writer, director, storyboard artist, voice actor, voice director, creator. He got his start as a storyboard artist on SpongeBob SquarePants and eventually went on to create the hit show, Chowder. The next show he created is currently in its second season at Nickelodeon. Harvey Beaks is earnest, thoughtful, and beautiful. I am so excited and thrilled to talk to Carl Harvey Greenblatt. I'll be, I'll, I'll be too real sometimes. That's Good. <laughs> Let's do it. Listen up, kids. Real talk with Carl Greenblatt. Okay. Do you remember your first animation memory? No, but, <laughs> but you know, I was like a weird sponge. Like, I would just sit in front of the TV and watch everything, like everything. You know, we had cable, so I, a lot of PBS, a lot of Sesame Street, mm-hmm. well past the age when I should have been watching it. But just, you know, because I loved the variety of techniques and the characters and... And that made a huge impact on me. But then, you know, lots of Bugs Bunny, lots of Saturday morning cartoons, lots of old Harvey cartoons like Casper and Little Lulu and and those things. Just everything. Lots of old sitcoms. And I think, I don't know if that sort of informed a comedy sensibility, but just I really, the the cornier it was, the more I liked it. (laughs) And I think as a kid, you like that kind of stuff like Gilligan's Island and F Troop and weird stuff that was well before my time, but they would just run in the afternoons. and, And yeah. Yeah. So I, I can't say that there's any one thing that I remember being the most influential, but mm-hmm. just sat there and consumed it all. Totally. You know, I wasn't super active. Were you always an artist? Were you always drawing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. From yeah, going back, like I remember sixth grade, even earlier, I would draw like funny characters, cartoon strips. Started doing my own little comics handing them to friends at school, showing them off. The point of my drawings was always to make someone laugh. You know, so I was really into the far side. I was really into oh, yeah. Cabin and Hobbs and um, Bloom County. A lot of those uh, comics just, again, really, you know, consumed that stuff. Totally. And and wanted to be like that. And so, you know, I remember like a, one of my first comics was called Zibbler. It was about this weird little alien family, which was basically me and my family, but I couldn't draw that well. I didn't really focus on learning to draw the bodies. They were just floating heads and hands. Because I was like, well, screw it. I can't draw this. I'm not going <laughs> to actually work at this to learn how to draw the bodies. I'm just going to focus on funny faces. That's what I like. Yeah. Um, but it was good because it's the kind of thing where you start learning how to craft a joke quickly or to to set up you know, a punchline and, and yeah. a payoff. And, and then kind of following that, I just I kept doing that through high school, doing that through college. And that was really more my training um, than any... Um, specific art That's classes. awesome. That's yeah. so great. You can see the Calvin and Hobbes. You can see the farce. You can see that stuff in your work, which is yeah. great. A lot of artists, you see your weakness more than your strengths. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people always feel like, oh, that person's so much better than me at this and so much better at me at this. And 
And and for me, I, you know, I always feel like, oh, I, I, you know, I draw too stiff or I, I, I'm not good at bodies. I'm not good at, you know, cars. I'm not. And, and, and I'm lazy. So I never sat down and, and muscled through <laughs> to get better at that stuff because um, I'd be like, oh, I just want to draw the funny faces and make the eyes really big and yeah. focus on, you know, some funny dialogue. And and so I think I, I enjoyed the writing kind of more than the drawing a lot of gotcha. times. Um, the drawing was a was a vehicle to get the, the writing out. So I tried to do it in, in as most economical way as possible. And then when I got into the industry and I started boarding, I really focused on how do I get better? How do I, how do, and, and with um. each board I would do, I'd say, okay, I'm going to really try to up my game cinematically. I'm going to try to really work on my perspective. I'm going to really try to work on my posing and make more happening visually. I'm, you know, I look at work that was coming back and be like, oh, that's too static. I need to have more movement. And so I really did try to, you know, try to work at it and get better at it. But I don't think until you see things in motion, you, you understand where your deficiencies are. Right. And then, you know, then I would give myself little personal challenges each storyboard. Like, what am I going to do this time to make it different from last time? What am I going to do to challenge myself a little bit more here? You know, and a lot of times for me, those challenges came in the fact of like, okay, I'm going to throw everybody in a in a car and they can't leave the car. And how do I make this interesting? <laughs> and how do I keep it visually interesting? And yeah. what do I do? And, and, and though I like those puzzles, I really like those kind of story puzzles where you tie your arm behind your back and lock yourself in a room and say, okay, how do I get out? Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> and, and do it in a way that other people are going to be fascinated by. Totally. Yeah. Have because you... it's, a, it's, you, you got no safety net. There's yeah. a lot of failure that can happen there, but it's, but it's really exciting. You got your first gig uh, for boarding, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was on SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. How did that happen? Fate, man. That's crazy. I know, right? I know. I've had so many people are like, well, how did, what kind of golden poop did you step in? I'm like, I know, right? It sounds it sounds like you make it up. I, I was working in New York City mm -hmm. in advertising. Okay. Um, and this is coming out of college? Coming out of college. So you so went to college for for art, advertising. For advertising. Yeah. Got it. Doing comic strips while I was in college, thinking, yeah. oh, maybe I'll get into like becoming like a newspaper comic artist someday. Yeah. But at the same time thinking, okay, well, what's a real job that I could have? I didn't know the animation was like a real thing I could do. But I knew that I liked, I really liked graphic design. I really liked fonts. I really liked... Kind of again that that um, problem solving of somebody says like come up with a neat idea to talk about our stupid toothpaste right so I got a job in advertising after getting a degree in that went to New York did that for about four years learned a heck of a lot about production casting uh, being on set shooting talking to directors cool. editing so I got a ton of a really good practical experience um, pitching ideas to executives who you know are just managers yeah. trying to explain to them why they should spend you know a million dollars on this dumb idea to talk about, you know, Chef Boyardee. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I kind of looked down the road at people who were working in advertising and just said, yeah, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. You know? and, <laughs> and, and it was really fun for a while, but you, you also, you know, I, I really was like, yeah, I really I want to talk about characters and I want to have stories and 30 seconds, you know, maybe you get to do two or three commercials that may be linked together yeah but at the end of the day you're fighting over how long that toothpaste tube is going to be on the screen and yeah i just said i i, I kind of want to try something different so you know i ended up picking up animation magazine mm -hmm. and literally the front page was like hey we're nickelodeon and we're looking for cool people send <laughs> us your stuff and this was maybe 97 1997 so you know i thought okay well why not so i, I threw together I, I didn't know really what to put in a portfolio for that. I just threw together a bunch of sketches for my sketchbook, doodles and whatnot. I put together um, comic strips that I had done. Yeah. Mailed it in. 
didn't hear anything for a while. And then, I don't know, maybe three or four months later, I got a call saying, oh, do you want to do a little freelance work for some character design for this uh, show we're developing? And I was like, oh, sure. You know, <laughs> did a couple drawings. I, they didn't go anywhere. I don't think the show ever got made, but it was still really exciting. And then one time we came out here to shoot a commercial and I got to meet with uh, someone in development and showed them my work. And they said, hey, you know, I really like the comics that you did. Can I pass them along to a friend of mine who's got a show in development? Awesome. And that was that show was SpongeBob Square- Sponge in Bob. development with SpongeBob SquarePants. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and so so I met with with um, Steve Hillenberg and Derek Dryman, and they're really cool. And they showed me the pilot, and I was like, "That's crazy! This thing is insane! I love it!" You know, and and I was a big fan of Rocco. So knowing that, like, oh, these are the guys who all worked on Rocco. That's really cool. Yeah. And um, they said, "Yeah, we we like your work. If the show gets picked up, you know, you can come in as a as a." storyboard revisionist which is you know the entry level job typically for storyboard artists so not knowing how development works i called i think literally every week to bug steve i you know (laughs) looking back i'm like oh my god i'd be like hey did it get picked up yet he's like no no (laughs) you know and eventually when it did i quit my job in new york flew out here awesome and started working and 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 that's where it all began so it's like this weird like how does that happen that doesn't happen to people You have been doing voices as early as SpongeBob SquarePants, right? You did a couple of voices here I and did, there on that. Yeah, yeah, that was terrifying. How, how did that happen? That was freaking terrifying. Tell me about that. That was the first thing I ever did. Okay, so <laughs> I wasn't on the show anymore. I, I think I was working over at Cartoon Network at that right. point. So you were on like Billy and Mandy. I was on Billy and Mandy. Got it. Um, and a couple of the guys who were still on the show I'd worked with essentially wrote me into a show. They wrote a character <laughs> called Carl, the big old chest. Um, I, I don't even think I've seen that one yet, but he's like a new manager who takes over the, the crusty crab. Got it. So, so they, they wrote to me and like, Hey, would you come in and do the voice for yourself? I'm like, Oh my God. Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So I, so I come in and like, what do you guys want me to do? And they said, well, we want you to do you the way we do you. Oh and I'm God. like, so like, cause they, the way they do me, they're like, Hey guys, you know, like this squeaky, <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. That's cool. So they set me in this room kind of like right here. Okay. And I'm looking over, and so you know, and and here's here's Tom Kenny and Clancy Brown, come on, and and you know Roger, and I've never done this before. They're on the other side of the glass, and the, and they're making me do take after take, like no, no, do it more like you. And I'm like, oh, oh I'm <laughs> embarrassing myself so much. This is so, so you know, I just I felt like you feel like this weird fraud, you know, like <laughs> like they're just sort of patting you on the head and letting you come in. But the, so that was my first experience, and it was it was it was sort of terrifying. Hi, gentlemen, I'm Carl. I'll be your new manager. New manager? I think you'll find working at the Krabby-O Mondays to be both a learning experience and an enjoyable one. Krabby-O Mondays? You won't need these anymore. Now here are your new uniforms, and here are the... employee manuals. See you first thing tomorrow. But then right after... Fred Fredberger happened, and yes. that was that. Oh my God, we got to talk about Fred Fredberger here <laughs> for a second because this is the most hilarious and insane. How did? Okay, so you're on. Yeah, <laughs> you're on Billy and Mandy, right? You're on yeah. Billy and Mandy. You also did the uh, Evil Concarne. One episode. One episode of that. Okay, great. Yeah, but Fred, uh, there was this weird. <laughs> okay, so you like seem hesitant to talk about. No, it. no, no. It's such a weird. It's just it's, it's the most surreal thing to me because yeah. okay. So Richard Horvitz wrote this outline about, you know, uh, Grimm and Billy and Mandy, and they're fighting over custody for him in in the in in the uh, in the underworld court. Right. And so 
a lot of times, like I said, when I get a story, I try to think, well, what can I do to put my own spin on it? What what's my in? What what am I connecting to? What am what am I really liking about this story? Or what can I put in that feels like me? Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, okay, like 12 Angry Men. I want to do this, like, let me do it from the point of the jurors. This could be really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I get my brain around that. So then I'm thinking, okay, what what are the jurors? Well, these are these monsters. And what if the fate of Grimm is put in the hands of, like, the dumbest monster <laughs> ever, and everyone has to deal with this idiot? And so I was like, that's it. That's that's it. So I'm going to tell the, the story from the point of view of this dumb monster just tanking this you know, insane courtroom drama that's going to happen. Yeah. And that's kind of where it came from. And then I just started to write him and it was one of those where you're like, okay, I'm just going to make him just happy and positive and completely oblivious. And we're just going to start with him waking up and going to the court and just annoying the crap out of everybody. So I just had a ton of fun writing him that way. And then I pitched it, you know, Maxwell was like, well, I really like how you pitched him. Do you want to, do you just want to be Fred? Yeah. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I'll go in and do it. And so, yeah, I just kind of did the dumb voice that I pitched him with. And, um, and that's how it came about. And then because I would kind of just write these really big epic shows that they'd have to hack down, he kind of said, I'm not going to hack this down. We're actually going to pad it out and make it a, a double episode. Oh my gosh. So I think we added the song, we added some other things and, and turned it into this 22. So he was just this like one-off character that I kind of just threw into the episode and then everybody lost their minds over yeah. this thing. And so the next thing I know, the network is like putting them on commercials and billboards. And I was like, what are you? This is so like, this is a one time side character who's now like the face of the network. What yeah. is happening? Has there been like a fan response to Fred Fredberger? <laughs> like, have you encountered any people that are fans of that? Yeah. What What do they ask you to do? Like, how? Like, what's that I mean, everyone wants like? the voice. That's the... Am I gonna have to do the? Yes, you're gonna have to do. (laughs) That's Um, what I'm getting at, Carl. (laughs) 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 But but like, what's the most common thing that fans of Fred they come up and they're like, "Oh, say this, do this, say like, what's the what's the 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 key phrase or the key thing?" It's either the nachos or the poo poo. You know, that's all I remember. Um, (laughs) Give them give them both. Let's uh, go. We gotta hear it. (laughs) All right, hang on. I gotta. gotta You got it. Uh, Yes. Um. Hello. Uh. Yeah. I I would like um I would like to order a plate of nachos and can I. Can I please have um extra cheese? I really like the cheese. And can I No, don't go away. It's like a weird mix of like getting really loud and really quiet yeah. and like getting a little lispy and then like this weird Grover voice. Being intense but nervous and yeah, you know, yeah. shy but like excited. Yeah. And yes. 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 <laughs> like I can't remember how many yeses I did. There were so many yeses. Oh my um, gosh. Or right, give us a poo-poo. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the poo-poo, Carl. <laughs> that, this is something that I, I've maybe heard way too many times in my life. Um, all right, hang on. <laughs> Judge, I I really have to go poo-poo. <laughs> Just like that there. I'm done. <laughs> That's the best. Why? Oh, my understand. God. What's the di- you say, what's the difference in a show and just an idea? Right. Right, or a character. So sometimes you might draw a character, and you're like, hey, that's a funny character, or oh, I got this idea for this person, and they do these things, and that's cool. But, I mean, if you look at any TV show, any movie, any anything that, especially TV shows, because you have to go week after week after week. Right. And you say, well, what are these stories about? They're about people. They're about people relating to each other. They're about interpersonal uh, conflicts. They're about wants and desires and things like that. So... Mm-hmm. The more people you have to play off of, the more of a deep connection you have between people, the more stories you get out of it. And ultimately, you have something folks relate to. And I feel like, you know, the reason you see so many sitcoms about families or workplaces is because everybody relates to that. It's hard to find 
a situation outside of those that's really universal. And if you do, then you sort of have to make a surrogate family or something within that situation. True. So, so to me, it's like if I have an idea, I have to live with it for a while and start to understand like what are the connections between the people. What is it that I like? What do other people? What other people get out of it? What are the stories about? What am I trying to say? What's my point of view in the world? All those things kind of have to be in there before I feel like, oh, I've got a show to really present beyond just, oh, that could be a funny gag or that could be a funny character. Totally. Well, for a long time, Chowder really was, if you look back through my sketchbooks, it really was uh, The Magician and The Apprentice. And and, and there was it. a lot of that for a long time. Yeah. A lot of those doodles, a lot of that idea kind of figuring that out. I really like that dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, thinking, okay, the point of view of this apprentice, uh, he lives with this crazy old magician and they make all kinds of weird stuff. And then when that sort of evolved into food and, and chefs, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I haven't really seen this. You know, I really like cooking. Where did that come from? Just Did you bring that? You're like, I like cooking. I'm a cook. Is that where that came from? I mean, to, I wouldn't call myself a cook, but, <laughs> but yeah, I like cooking. You know, like... I, a lot of good memories of watching cooking shows mm-hmm. with my mom. Yeah, and and then just kind of cooking stuff at home, but realizing that it solved the problem of giving me what magic gives me, which is there's this transmutation process, there's this creation process. But at the same time, everybody understands food, so there's a good universality in that. And then to say like, "Oh, I haven't seen that before. I haven't really seen like this catering cooking idea." So so it it solved a lot of problems that magic felt like it when it was magicians, like, well, there's Harry Potter, there's other things. Sure. I've seen other versions of this, so what could be a really different spin on it? And then once the cooking happened, I realized, okay, so they're like this little family that lives there. You've got Mung and his wife, you've got Chowder, who's kind of like their kid, essentially, and then you've got Schnitzel, who's sort of like the uncle, you know, yeah. like a put-up-on <laughs> uncle. It's it's that it's that yeah. idea. And and I was like, oh, then it's like, you know, and then we, among the crew, is we would talk about things, you know, certain sitcoms that have this very sitcom-y feel that would have sort of like a Three's Company feel, you know, mm-hmm. just crazy things happening week after week but once i once i clued in on this family idea i understood the relationships and how they all worked and 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 what the stories were gonna at least kind of be grounded in totally you know and and the interesting thing was trying to convince the network of that because you do the pilot and their first question is so is it just like they're gonna cook every week and you want to say well, like well is you know is is gray's anatomy they're just gonna save lives every yeah. week <laughs> and they're just gonna, it's gonna be doctors every week well, like, yeah it's boring. like well, yeah, yeah. Harvey Beaks, where did the idea for this show come from? You know, I knew I wanted something woodsy. I was drawing these little characters in the woods. I was drawing these little imps. I wanted something, you know, originally the first version was just this character that became Fu, and, and I liked this mischievous imp, and I liked, it felt different from Chowder. And so I started playing around with those characters, and then Harvey kind of snuck up on me. The character of Harvey snuck up on me yeah. in it, where I started drawing this bird in there, and then after a while I realized, oh, that's me. And and then then everything started to click really quickly. At that How did point. you know it was you? Because you put a little like a helmet on him or something. Like he yeah, was the safe? original version. Yeah, he was safe. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then I went, oh crap, that's yeah. I see what I'm doing, you know. And 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 you start to realize, at some point, every character you make is you. Like Fred is. There's a part of him that's me. Yeah. Like the annoying part. <laughs> I'll be annoying. Like my wife was always saying, like, yeah, that's you. You'll just sit there and just like bug the. Bug the crap out of me. Just like repeat stuff over and over and over because you think it's funny and you're entertaining yourself. And and then, you know, chowder was a lot of me. You know, there's like I said, that love of food, that love of eating, sort of mm-hmm. just being the little weirdo, you know, feeling like you're this out of place kid. And then, you know, Harvey is that side of me that 
is very regimented and lives within these very strict rules and doesn't step outside of those very often, feels very uncomfortable about that. Mm-hmm. And and again, that's what I'm talking about, kind of that worldview of just what is it about yourself that you realize that you you can have to say about who you are and, and the way the world works. And so with Harvey, there were a couple things coming into this show. One, between this and Chowder, I was working on Fishhooks at Disney right. as a director. Mm-hmm. And... We had a lot of fun on that show, but one of the things that I really liked that we did was there were were a couple episodes that were a little more emotional. And we kind of got to touch on these relationships between the main characters and kind of this romance. And and that was the stuff that felt the most exciting to me. I hadn't done that kind of stuff before. Yeah. Done sort of the 11-minute comedy, but to to have characters who actually could feel something and people could watch it and say, oh, wow, that gave me some chills or, oh, I really like that. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of what I would like to do. And so putting this together, once I kind of had that idea of who the characters were, the three main characters, I said, well, what's the tone of the show? What does the show have to say? And I thought, oh, I really want it to be about kind of the ups and downs of childhood and not just wacky fun but you know like we could be melancholy we could have moments of fear we could have moments of sadness and not that the whole series would have that but we could actually kind of breathe that stuff into the show and have quiet moments or just serene moments and Mm -hmm. not everything has to be loud and 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 over the top all the time and so again that that kind of put a fire to my butt and said "Ooh, that that could be really really fun sometimes I'm a little jealous of Harvey. He gets to have fun with Fu and me and then come home and hang out with you guys. I guess I just want that sometimes, too. Remember that time we ate peanut butter off the floor? And then we both got tummy aches and couldn't get up for an hour. Or the time we switched around all of Irving's plants and it took him weeks before he figured it out. Or the time we dropped Harvey's toothbrush in the toilet and didn't tell him. What? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having fun now. Yeah, me too. You found a lot of artists before the show sort of hit the ground running. Artists that you like yeah. that were just on Tumblr and on the internet. And yeah. and, and you reached out to them. And I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 75% of the board artists that worked on the show that didn't have any previous animation experience. What was that like? It was, you know, some of them, I mean, a lot of them had gone to school for animation. Sure. But for a lot of them, it was their first job. It's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was sweating bullets the first uh, few rounds. But um, no, you know, and, and it came back to like, I thought, okay, well, how did I come in? Yeah. I was a dummy who just had some comic strips and didn't know how animation worked, but I but I knew how to tell a story. Totally. Or at least tell some jokes and, and I could I could write some characters. And they saw something in you. Right. You know what I mean? So you're seeing it's something It's like a pay it forward kind of thing. I love it. That's but, so great. you know, I realized I needed to work with storytellers. I needed to pe- work with people who understood characters on a deeper level and thought of them like real people and not just like little wacky cartoon things mm-hmm. moving around. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that's the kind of people I gravitated towards and reached out to. Um, and and that, I think that's why the show kind of has the feel that it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I mean, this is this is mostly on the storyboard side. A, right. a lot of the other people on the show are very experienced. Oh, in, totally. But for me, it was like the people who really set the tone of the show and really kind of write the characters. I just needed some fresh voices who could come in and and understand how to do it in a way that I hadn't done before. Like in my head, the original the original sound that I heard of the show was sort of this more acoustic piano guitar mm-hmm. uh, sound. You know, something I would say akin to like a Sufjan Stevens. Yeah. Um, very naturey. Very yeah. yeah cool. You know, with with like a little more up tempo stuff thrown in, and then. 
when we start doing the pilot, they the, the network does sort of like a casting call for for uh, composers, and then sends in um, you know a bunch of different samples from people, and one of them was from Ego Plum, who is now the composer. And when I heard it, I just thought, holy crud! This you know, and one of the one of the one of the songs I'd put down as sort of I said here here here's a good touchstone song is mm-hmm. um I don't know if I'm saying it right, but Godot by Jonesy. Yeah, you know Jonesy from yeah. uh, um. Uh, my brain. Um, well, anyway, Sigurus. Thank you, Sigurus. 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 Yeah, Sigurus. Sigurus. Yeah. yeah. So I think he he really heard that sound and said "aha," mm-hmm. and that was very much in his wheelhouse, the sort of electronic-y stuff. So I wasn't thinking that, but what I really liked about his music was it was electronic, but it was still warm. It yeah. still had this like real genuine heart to it. And the demo that he sent in is what we used for the theme song. So he nailed it right from the beginning. I said, wow. that's the sound of the show. It's something warm. It's something emotional. But then adding that sort of chirpy electronic sound really elevated it. And again, to a sound I hadn't really heard on a lot of other stuff. And and so knowing how good that was, it was sort of like, well, then let's make sure we give time in these episodes for music. To hear it. To hear yeah. it, exactly. Awesome. So that it's not always just in the background where you're not paying attention, but occasionally let's really push it up to the forefront and give it a little moment. I love that. I love that the music has influenced your guys' approach to some of the storytelling. That's yeah. really great. That's because really when great. you know you have, yeah. it's, it's like if you know you have a superstar, yeah. put that superstar on stage, <laughs> right? We got to talk about steampunks. Yeah, you guys decided to do basically like you described earlier, a movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I keep describing. You know, I told the crew. I said, "Yes, I'm sorry that this was like a tidal wave of pain that just slammed into every different department as we did it." In case people don't understand what you're describing, it's like pain. These guys—they're making a cartoon. Describe exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. How you so, said it earlier, like you know, the, with the process of making TV cartoons is we start a new 11-minute episode every single week, and it works like an assembly line where each person gets a certain amount of time to work on the episode, and then it passes along to the next person. Mm-hmm. It goes from the writers to the storyboard artists to the designers to the directors to the animation to the post. And so normally you do an episode and, you know, you have everything has to be designed that's new, but typically you can reuse a lot of stuff. Things take place in, in the same woods, in yeah, the same, same house. house. Yeah. When you have an episode that takes place in a brand new location for 44 minutes <laughs> and everybody's in a different costume, it's massive. It's a lot. You're designing an entire new show. Yeah. All at once. Yeah. And it's huge. You have to paint it and color it and and so it becomes a really heavy lifting ordeal. You yeah. know, I think uh, it turned out great. It looks but awesome. Man, it was so a lot great. of work. And, and you know, and and the other thing that's really frightening about doing a forty-four minute is, again, that assembly line process. You know, if you're making a movie at a studio, you're kind of working on the whole thing at once. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing it all in pieces, but mm-hmm. you can always step back and view it all, go back and rework pieces. You got people going on at once, but you're not typically. If you're smart, you're not. Finishing first act right before you finish the third act right uh, as far as like shooting it and whatnot yeah <laughs> but but we have to kind of keep things moving so you want to look at it, the whole of it but you have to start producing the first part of it and so you're crossing your fingers that it all works and so we did spend a, we got a little more time up front to do some pre production to do some planning but it was still 
you know, it was still one of those cases of like cross my fingers and hope it all comes together and that it's going to make a coherent Oof. story and that it's going to have an emotional arc and that it's going to work. For, I've never done a 44 minute. Yeah. Well, 22 awesome. minutes are hard enough. Yeah. You know, and, and it was fun. It worked out great. When you're living here in Steamer, it's, it's like, like living in, in a dreamer. dreamer. Every person is impassioned with impractical old fashioned. Is it the future? Or the day who even cares? Because it's a blast. hope that audiences that fans that kids respond to the episode the new bugaboo which i think is like a big moment for harvey beaks it's 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 his sisters on the way yeah and he's dealing with all of these emotions that a lot of kids older siblings kind of deal with when they realize oh wait i'm not going to be the, the bugaboo anymore. i'm not, right, I'm the not, kid I'm not anymore. yeah it's it's a weird thing to sort of give up your special title yeah and realize you have to share love yeah yeah um, that's a that's a lot of ideas for for kids when they're figuring that out. How yeah. do you want like how do, how would you hope that audiences respond to that? I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of we're talking about. It. I I for me, as long as people can look at it and say, I feel that way, I've felt that way, I understand that. Yeah, they get wrapped up in it. That's that's you know that's what we want from people. Is like it's <laughs> it's a weird thing when 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 we're doing the shows. I obviously want them to be funny, but funny is not always the end goal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I keep telling everybody, I'd rather people are invested in the story and engaged in the story than laughing the whole time. We'll give them some laughs, but I want them to really care about what's happening and to worry or to be excited or to whatever. And so with this one, you know, we'd been building up for a whole season of having this egg. And when it came down to it, we're like, well, how do we, how do, you know, and when we have Harvey have emotions that aren't, what I would say, like good emotions, mm-hmm. you know, things like jealousy or like how it's always interesting to say, how do we handle that with a character who's innately good? But for me to keep him from becoming um, a uh, kind of like a a one note character from becoming sort of this, you know, shallow person, like we have to show that he's got real emotions that people relate to. He's got fears. He's got, you know, worries. He's got um, jealousy. He's got that kind of stuff within him. But it's how he handles it and what he does that keeps him true to who he is. And so to have him, you know, essentially go through that thing that kids go through, which is I'm going to fight for my place in this house. And (laughs) and what do I do? Do I, you know, how do I, how do I stay the top dog and still do it in a way that feels true to who you set him up as is, is a fun challenge, and then and then to pay it off with kind of a sweet ending is nice. So great, yeah, so great. What and then and then ending. the baby, oh, the baby's gonna be fun <laughs> because because not to give too much away, but you know the idea that um, she's she's very different than her brother. That's awesome. You'll find out in future episodes. That's awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. That yeah. was so much fun. Okay. So thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Carl Greenblatt from here. Yeah, thanks, actor. Oh my gosh, you guys, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. Now, I would love to know who you want to hear in the seat across from me. So find Nick Animation on social media and let me know on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, whatever you got, whatever you can find. Let us know. You're not going to want to miss an episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. So please come back, visit us next week on nickanimationpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more episodes and tons of bonus content, thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together, this podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez Eberhard, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Greg Nix. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Gralva. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Thank you.